Good to be here this afternoon. Glad to see each of you with us. Hopefully the study will benefit you in some way. When I say the name Moses, what pops into your mind? If you're like me, when I think about Moses, I think of the great leader and prophet in Israel. Uh, someone that did great great things and, and led the people of Israel through a, a very difficult time, led them out of Egyptian bondage and into the promise, almost into the promised land, right to the brink of the promised land. I, I do think of some of the mistakes that he made along the way, but that's not the prominent thing that, that pops into my mind. You know, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse number 10, uh, there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Bible talks about God speaking to Moses plainly and clearly. Moses could understand that. Moses could grasp that. And after the time of Moses, God said, he's not going to talk to prophets like that anymore. Not face to face. Not, not as a friend communicates to a friend, but that he was going to communicate to the prophets uh, in, in different ways, and it would be uh, in shadows and in, in darker things that they had a difficult time understanding, and sometimes the people had a difficult time understanding. Sometimes it was years before those things would come to pass, but not to Moses. To Moses, God talked to him, just like you and I communicate with one another, and that's an amazing thing. In Acts chapter 7 and verse number 37 Moses is compared to Christ, and Moses himself prophesied this prophecy. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. That's quite a comparison for somebody to make. For him to make himself a comparison to Christ. Say, Christ is going to be like me. He's going to lead people like I have led people. Moses was a gifted leader, a mighty leader, a wonderful leader who made a huge difference in the course of history, in the course of our history, in the course of how you and I have come into the church today. Moses made a huge impact in that regard. But you know, it wasn't always that way. It didn't start out that way. Moses didn't start out as a great leader like that, did he? We know the, the story of how Moses was born and how he grew up in Egypt and how he lived in Egypt for a time. And we know about the time when Moses uh, saw his brethren, the Hebrews, struggling against the Egyptians, and he came up and he smote the Egyptian. Moses always had a propensity to want to help. He wanted to help. He wanted to be somebody who was known for helping. He helped out his, his brethren on that occasion. Later on, when his brethren struggled against one another, and he tried to intervene, and they didn't receive that too well, it, it bothered him. He wanted to help. He had that, that sense of need to, to step in and help, but when they didn't react positively to that, neither did he. And as a result of that, and when it became known what he had done in killing that Egyptian, he had to flee, and he fled into Midian. Well, in Exodus 2, uh, verses 16 and 17, we see there that he was still, had that propensity to help. 
The priest of Midian had daughters that would come and try to draw water, and they would have to do battle in order to draw that water. People would try to keep them from doing that. Moses intervened. He made sure they could get their water. He helped them. And as a result, he was kind of taken in them. But he always had that propensity to want to help, a desire to help. And that leads us to what we want to talk about today, and, and that's Moses' encounter there at the burning bush. How did Moses become this great leader? When we read his reactions to God there at the burning bush. And we're going to spend some time reading uh, in the book of Exodus. So if you'd like to take out a Bible or take out a phone or tablet or whatever it is uh, you're accustomed to use and follow along with us. We're going to be studying uh, here and reading quite a bit uh, out of the book of Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 3 and, and uh, verse number 1, it says that Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Oreb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire. And the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And so that's where we're at. He's seen this great and exceptional sight. And just like any of us, our curiosity would have been piqued. And he says, i got to go check this out. i got to turn aside and see why this bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And so he does that. And it says that the Lord saw him turn aside to see. And God called out, uh, of the midst of the bush and said unto him Moses Moses and he said here am I and he said draw not nigh hither put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground moreover he said I am the God of thy father the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God and the Lord said I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of the land unto a good land. And a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites. And the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. And I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God says to Moses, I want you to be the one to lead these people. I want you to do that. And he's not telling Moses anything that Moses doesn't already know. Moses knows the oppression of these people. He grew up and he saw it. He lived in that land. And it got to the point where Moses couldn't handle that. And Moses intervened on behalf of his brethren. Moses knew what was going on in Egypt. And God reiterates those things to him. And God says, I know as well. And I don't like this and I'm going to bring them forth. And I'm going to deliver them out of this land. And he says, I want you to do it. I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to bring these people out. God makes a request of Moses. And I want you to know something today. God has made 
a request to you. God's request Moses to lead. And God requests you to lead today. God wants you to lead. He wants you to lead your family. He wants you to lead the people around you. Just like Jace talked about this morning, God wants you to be the example. He wants you to set the stage. He wants you to be the one that people look to and that people follow and that people react to. And so as we look at Moses' reaction, I want you to think about your reaction to the same request. God said, I want you to go out into the world and I want you to teach all nations. And I want you to baptize them. And I want you to teach them all things. That's what God said to you. God said to Moses, go to Pharaoh. And what did Moses say? Moses said, who am I? Who am I? Go back with me in the book of Exodus here. And let's pick it back up in verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children out of Egypt? Who am I? Now God said, I'm going to be with you. He said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to cause this and that to happen. But Moses wasn't convinced, was he? He said, Who am I? I'm a nobody. But Moses wasn't a nobody. God knew who Moses was. God knew Moses wanted to intervene and help. God knew Moses' heart. God knew Moses wanted to help his brethren out. God knew Moses had a unique position. That he knew Egyptian culture. And that he knew Pharaoh and the family. God knew exactly who Moses was. God knows who you are today. He knows exactly who you are. He can number the hairs on your head. He knows your talents. He knows your weaknesses. He knows every single thing about you. And yet he still charged us all to go out into the world, to be an example, to teach others. This is our call. This is what he's asked us to do. You know, a little bit of humility is necessary. It's commanded. Now, if Moses would have said, you know what, God, you're right. I am the guy for the job, and I will deliver them 100%. You don't need to ask anything else of me. You've come to the right place, God. That would have been a problem too, wouldn't it? That pride that he could have easily been puffed up with. That A little bit of humility is certainly a good thing. The Bible tells us in Romans 12 and verse number 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We're commanded to, to have a little bit of, of, of humility in our lives. To not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But at the same time, God's given us certain commands. And he's not given us any command that we cannot perform, that we don't have the talent to perform. He's not commanded us to do anything that we simply cannot do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency, the power may be of God and not of us. 
He's given us the greatest gift. He's given us the treasure, the Word of God, and He's handed it to us. And we have that treasure, the gospel, in earthen vessels and are commanded to take it about from place to place, to go into the world and to share that message. That's the command we've been given. Have you ever said, who am I? I can't do that. That's a tall order, God. Go find somebody else. These are kind of the reactions that Moses had. What about you? The next thing we see as we continue reading there in, in Exodus, as we come down and, and in verse 12, of course, God says there, uh, Certainly I'll be with thee, and this is the token unto thee that I've sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God on this mountain. God says, I've made this promise. You're going to serve God right here on this mountain. You're going to bring those people back and you're going to serve on this mountain. He says, I'm going to be with you. What's Moses' second reaction? Who are you, God? Who are you? Moses said in verse 13 unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? Who are you? Who are you, God? What, what am I going to tell them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover, unto Moses thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel the Lord God of your fathers the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you this is my name forever and this is my memorial unto all the generations go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them the Lord God of your fathers the God of Abraham of Isaac and of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I'll bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt, unto the land of the Canaanites and Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, and they shall hearken to thy voice. This is God saying, they will hearken to your voice, Moses. And thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And now let us go. We beseech thee, three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice unto our Lord our God. And I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. So he's telling him what's going to happen. He's speaking to Moses face to face. There's no doubt about how this is going to play out. God's telling him. Verse 20, I'll stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders which I've done in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Who are you, God? God says, I'll tell you exactly who I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. You know, we should not doubt the almighty God. We should not ever question who he is and what he is able to do. And I think it's very fitting that he says, you tell them the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has visited you and told you this thing. You know, what does that mean? 
That sounds real good, but what does that really mean? The God of Abraham, the God of the promise, who made the promise to Abraham that I'm going to make of you a great nation, a mighty nation. The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, not just the making of that promise, but the execution of that promise, the coming to fruition, and the eventual changing of Jacob's name to Israel, that nation that he promised to Abraham. This is the fulfilling of that promise in their, in their generation, in their time. That meant something big time to them. It should mean something to us. You know, this same God has made a covenant with us, just like he made a covenant with Abraham. And he executed that covenant with Abraham, and he brought that to be. And in Jeremiah 31 and 31, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. We read about that covenant in the book of Hebrews. It tells us about the fulfilling of that covenant and the New Testament. God's made a covenant with us. Why would we question him? He is almighty God. He made promises. He executed promises. And that's what he's telling Moses. And as we read through the rest of that little discourse there between he and Moses, that's what he's saying to him. I made this promise to Abraham. I'm fulfilling the promise. Now I'm making this promise to you. You're going to worship me in this mountain right here. You're going to bring the people out. He said, you're going to go to the elders and they're going to hearken unto you. They're going to say, yeah, that's the right thing to do. And he said, you're going to go to the king and he's not going to listen to you. And I'm going to have to work some mighty wonders, but I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to do that. And we know the rest of the story. Every bit of that happened. Just like what God said would happen. And yet we go back and we continue in the story as we go to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. And what does Moses say? Moses said the slide won't go for it. No, not really. Moses said they won't believe me. God just said they are going to hearken to you. And Moses said they won't believe me. They're not going to believe this. They're not going to believe I saw you in a burning bush. They're not going to believe that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob cares about them and wants to deliver them. They are not going to believe it. Can you sympathize with what Moses is thinking here? What Moses is saying? You ever said that? You know, I'm ashamed to say that I've said that very exact thing before. Somebody says, you ought to go visit so-and-so. They won't believe. They're not going to change. They enjoy living in the world too much, and they're not going to change a thing. Why would I go to them? That's a terrible attitude. Moses had a terrible attitude here. This great leader initially said, these people won't believe. They won't believe. Verse 2, and the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. He said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground, it became a serpent, and Moses fled before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. 
that they might believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said, Furthermore unto him, Put now thy hand in thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand in his bosom again and plucked it out in his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it, came, and it shall come to pass that if they'll not believe thee, neither hearken to thy voice at the first sign, then they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe also the two signs, neither hearken to thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land, and the water which thou taketh out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. God said, I'll convince them. You don't worry about that. It's not for you to worry about whether they'll believe or whether they won't believe. It's just about you going and doing your job. Your job's not to make them believe. Your, your job is to go and tell them what I have said. Isn't that a relief? Isn't, <clears throat> excuse me, isn't that a relief off your shoulders today? That you don't have to go make everybody believe. It's not your job to go make everybody believe. But it is your job to go and share the message. You know, I think it was Brother Sean that told me one time, we're not told to be farmers. We're told to be sowers. We're just told to go sow. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 to 9, he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell on stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no uh, deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell on thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. This guy didn't go out and say, here's the good ground over here. I'm not going to worry about any of this ground over here. That, that wasn't his job. His job was just scatter seed. Go about and scatter seed. We've been given the word. It's in our earthen vessels. We've been given the message of the gospel of Christ. And it's our job to just spread it. To just share it. Not our job to worry about who believes. That's God's job. Remember the verse in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. I've planted, Apollos watered. God gives the increase. We don't have to worry about it. Not our job to think about whether or not they will believe. Just our job to deliver the message. We're just like Moses in that regard. His job was to deliver the message. But what did he say to that then? What did he say to that? Go back with me in the book of Exodus. Chapter 4 and verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither hitherto for nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. You know, he says basically the equivalent to, I just can't. I can't. He's tried everything else up to this point. He's made every other excuse imaginable. And now he just says, I can't do it. You're asking me to go be a messenger. You're asking me to go deliver this message. And I'm slow of speech. I'm not a good speaker. I can't convince anybody. Can't do it. 
You ever said that? You ever thought that? You know, this is kind of the old standby. The old, when all else fails, I'm just going to say I can't. And maybe then they'll leave me alone. Matthew chapter 14. Excuse me. Let me make sure what I got there. It might be Luke 14. Luke chapter 14. My apologies. Luke chapter 14 and verse 16. It says, Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and he sent his servant um, <clears throat> to them, he sent his servant at supper time to say unto them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And if you go down to verse 24, what does he say? He says, none of them that were bidden will taste of my supper. Why were they denied? Because they said, I can't. I can't because I'm too busy. I can't because I need to spend more time at home. I can't because I'm not good enough. I don't have the talents. I can't because this. I can't because that. Anytime we're called to do church work, it's easy to say, I can't. It's, that's the easy way out. And yet Philippians 4 and 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which is it? <laughs> Which is it? Can you do all things through Christ? Yes, you can. So who is it that's deciding that you can't? That's, that's just you. That's just you. That's not anybody else but you making that decision that you can't. Moses here, it was nobody else but Moses. God's told him, these people are going to hearken to you. <laughs> I can't imagine a bigger vote of confidence than God Almighty to say, when you go and talk to so-and-so, they are going to hearken unto you. The elders of Israel will hearken unto you, and they'll do what you ask. That's a pretty good vote of confidence. He said, I don't know. I can't convince them, God. I can't convince them. What about you? Can you do it? Or are you going to say, just send somebody else? Because that's eventually what Moses said. Moses' final plea was, God, why don't you just send somebody else? In Exodus chapter 4, and verse 13, he said, uh, And he said, O Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Anybody else. Just pick somebody else. I don't care who it is. Just pick somebody else. You know, when you're a little kid and you're standing in the kickball line, you're usually raising your hand, you're jumping up and down. Pick me, pick me. <laughs> Moses would have been the kid over in the corner. Just pick somebody else. Not me. I can't kick the ball. I can't do it. 
Verse 14, God has enough. It says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. You know that phrase? <laughs> That's the phrase that shows up a bunch uh, throughout this book as God would look down at the children of Israel when they would turn again from him, turn away from him. And that, that phrase shows up many times right before God's anger is poured out and, and he strikes people dead. That's how close Moses was to just, boom, no Moses. Because God was mad. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know he can speak well. And also, behold, he'll cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he'll be glad. He said, I got your brother all set up to help you out. All you got to do is go back and execute this. Just go back. And do what I've asked you to do. Thou shalt, verse 15, thou shalt speak unto him. He'll put words in his, and put words in his mouth. And I'll be with thy mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you what ye shall do. He said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with him. And we're going to make this happen. We're going to accomplish this. Verse 16, he'll be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of a God. And thou shalt take this rod in thy hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. You know, it's interesting to me that we've went through all this, excuse after excuse after excuse. And it makes me think, what does the anger of God look like? Because there's only a little a few verses right there. The anger of the Lord's kindled against Moses, and he says this to him. Doesn't sound like anything different than what he's been saying. Hey, I've got it set up. Hey, we can do this. But Moses changed his mind at that point. He changed his mind. The fear of the Lord and seeing the anger of the Lord did something to Moses that changed his mind. You know, I contrast Moses thought process here with that of Isaiah. In Isaiah 6 and verse 8, when Isaiah has seen the glory of the Lord, what did Isaiah say? He said, here am I, send me. <laughs> right after he saw the glory of the Lord. Here Moses has seen the glory of the Lord in this burning bush and he's made excuse after excuse after excuse until he sees this anger come out and he changes his mind. What about the apostle Paul? You know, Paul, it says in Acts 9, verses 18 to 20, uh, as he, uh, after, after Saul's had his encounter here with the Lord on the road to Damascus, it says, and immediately there fell from his eyes had been scales, and he received his sight with, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat and was strengthened, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. How about that reaction? Shouldn't that be more in line with what our reaction is when we're called to deliver the message? When we're called out of the world to be an example to the world, to preach the message of Christ to the world, shouldn't that be our thought process to act like Paul acts, to act like Isaiah acted, and eventually, when Moses was convinced, to act like Moses acted. That changed Moses. 
Somehow, some way, it changed him. And he went. As we read there in Exodus 4 and verse 18, right after that, God hands him the rod. And he says, with this rod, you're going to go do these signs and these wonders. Verse 18 of Exodus 4, Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they yet be alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Moses said, I got to go. I got to go to work. He was eventually convinced. Convinced to go and to do the work that God was calling him to do here. So I have a question for you this afternoon. Are you convinced yet to go and do the work? How many years have you been serving Christ? And are you holding back? Moses was holding back with everything he had there. And I imagine Moses thought he would never go back to Egypt when he fled out. And when he had got married, and when he had had a son, he was content. Everything was good. He was just feeding the sheep. He was just feeding the flocks and taking care of business. And I imagine he thought, I'll never go back there. And then God came into his life. I want you to remember the day God came into your life. And what you thought that day. And how you acted that day. When you were obedient to the gospel. Or if you hadn't been obedient to the gospel. And you're making excuse after excuse after excuse not to obey the gospel. Why? Why are you holding back? Why would you hold back from God? God has promised us that he will take care of us. He's promised us. A home in heaven if we serve him. He's given us the promised land. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The God who promises and the God who delivers. Has made a promise to each of us. And he said, if you'll serve me. If you'll work while you're on this earth. And you'll serve me. And you'll obey my commands. When you leave this earth, I'll give you a home. That's the promise. You know, I, I love sci-fi movies and shows and my favorite ones are the ones that have time travel in them not because I believe time travel is possible but it just creates this fascinating uh, thought process and I think about that when I read this story here about Moses and the burning bush what if Moses had never got convinced what if Moses had made one more excuse and the anger of the Lord was kindled against him even more. And he struck him off the face of the earth. What would have happened? What kind of historical perspective would have been set into motion at that time? Israel might have never got free. And if Israel never got free, the Messiah might have never been born. And if the Messiah would have never been born, we certainly wouldn't be here today. We would be heathens living in sin without any hope in the world. But that same principle can be applied to any one of us. If you don't tell X about Christ, then they can't have a life free from sin. And if you don't tell X about Christ, then they won't tell X about Christ and they can't have a life free from sin. And if you don't act today to be obedient to the call of Christ 
You may never have another example. And it might not just be you that's lost, but it might be your future family that's lost and their future family and so on and so forth. Jesus said in John 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. For Moses, there was an opportunity set before him, and he finally took advantage of it. If you haven't taken advantage of the opportunity set before you, I encourage you to do that today. There's no time like the present. There's no hour like this hour, no minute like this minute, to obey God, to obey Him in baptism, to start your walk, to become the leader that He's called you to be in your family and in your community. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.